Back home again in dear old Elmhurst, and it seems that I can see the gleaming French porch lights still burning bright through the seven wards of trees. The backyard skunks send all their fragrance through the streets I used to roam. When I dream about the moonlight on her salt creek, how I long for my great big Elmer's home. Golly! And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malort. Welcome to another edition of the E-Town Lowdown, and we're here in our hot tub high above the Butterfield Park water tower with my good friends P.K. Malort and our special guest. And before we introduce our special guest, I just want to say that a couple of years ago, P.K. said, I can get the coach of the three-time-in-a-row state champion. The head coach. The head coach. Bill Kreft. I see Catholic Prep Knights. I can land the head coach. And he never did. So Malort... Well, he he landed an assistant coach tonight. Right. <laughs> it's because I'm a high-performing intern on this program. Well, I have to say, I think Malort landed a better guest. Not nothing against Bill Kreft, but our guest tonight, big, big fish in the he's house. He's got he's got more uh, more cred than just coaching at IC, which is a really cool thing, by the yeah. way. And we'll talk more about that later. But uh, Malort, why don't you introduce our guest and tell us how you met? Sure. Our guest for uh, this episode is Elmhurst resident and former NFL football player and local guy, Matt Bowen, also assistant coach at uh, IC Catholic Prep. So, Matt, welcome to the Lowdown. I appreciate it. I, I would say Matt's a journalist, though. I was going to say, we got talent in the house. It's a little intimidating. I mean, he's on-air talent to go with us. It's the presence of greatness here. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to foreshadow. I was going to let us build up to that. But you see how this podcast works now, Matt. Um, Matt and I go back a little ways. I've known you for a while. And I believe the first time I met you was through uh, probably Access Sports. Yes. Which you uh, graciously volunteer your gifts to uh, the community of, of folks who participate in Access Sports, of which my family has participated. I know yours has as well. Um, it, it's what's that know. about, Scotty? Matt, or, you want to explain Access Sports? Yeah, Access Sports is it's a bunch of sports. There's baseball, there's basketball. Right now, soccer. they're doing soccer, track, and it's it's uh, organization designed for sports with kids and young adults with special needs. That's uh, right. So very nice. My oldest boy, Matthew, who's a freshman at York now, has Down syndrome, uh, and that's been a great thing for us. And really, more as he's gotten older. You know, when you're younger um, in, in any sport, I mean, young kids in any sport, it's hard to coach. It's hard to keep the attention spans going. Um, but as he's gotten older, especially track and now basketball through York, it's been a great thing for our family. 
And if you want information about that, it's ElmhurstAccessSports.org. I know a little bit about it. How many sports uh, are represented in Access Sports? Well, I can tell you the ones I've been involved. Okay, so basketball, um, baseball, um, track, soccer, and I've helped coach in basketball and baseball. And that's an all-volunteer organization, people giving their time up to help that community. It is. And and the baseball has been fun. We we scrimmage against each other, and then we'll have a couple games against LaGrange, uh, real games, and and it's fun. It's fun just to see the kids interact. Obviously, I'm a big proponent of being outside, being active, moving, and also I'm a huge proponent of being a a multiple-sport athlete, right? That's one of the biggest things for me is be a multi-sport athlete. And this gives kids with special needs an outlet to do that, right? Mm-hmm. An outlet to do it. And then basically what I tell people it is, it's almost a precursor to Special Olympics. Right. Um, oh, because yeah. Matthew, my son, has done swimming with it as well. So, you know, when Special Olympics starts, if your son or daughter is interested in doing Special Olympics, it gives them experience when they're younger. Experience with coaching, experience with fundamentals, development, just like you would with any other sport in this town of Elmhurst. And I think it's a great thing. Uh, we've, we've really enjoyed it. Do, um, do fans come out and watch? Sure they do. We had some good crowds out there for baseball yep. before. We have. Nice. And we, we played over at Plunkett. That was our home field over at Plunkett. Mm-hmm. And the softball field's over there by our football field. Um, and it's good. Basketball was on you know Sunday afternoons. We played games over at Sandberg uh, Middle School. And soccer we play down at, uh, what's the park off of Spring Road down there? Eldridge Eldridge Park. That's right. That's right. So I know that uh, you live in Elmhurst now, Mm -hmm. and you mentioned at least one child at York, and that's your oldest, right? That's right. Who's a freshman at York. So you were a hilltopper. Or, you know, we everybody always called us the York dorks. We always used to refer to Glenbard West as a dump on the hump, right? Right. 100%. Beautiful school, beautiful traditions. Um, They've had some pretty good football programs over the years, too. I don't know about when you were there. Obviously, you were a a standout, but tell us about growing up in Glen Ellen, how it was similar to Elmhurst, and how you got involved in football and other athletics, for that matter. Sure. Uh, We did grow up in Glen Ellen. I went to Catholic grade school. I went to St. Petronell grade school. Well, I started, we actually lived in the other side of town. We lived over by Glenbard South. So uh, first grade through fourth grade, third grade, I went to St. James. And then we moved over to town. Um, into town over by Sunset Pool. My parents still live in the same house. And uh, going to Glenbard West, you know, that was something I wanted to do as a kid. My dad would take me to games, and I wanted to be one of those players. One of their traditions is they walk down the hill, right? right. You come from the locker room down the hill. Uh, you, it's unique. You play day games. You play on grass. Um, and it's still that way, right, grass? Uh, 100%. And you still play day games over there. So it has a unique feel to it. You know, if you if you watch the Glenbar West football game, especially the beginning of the state playoffs at Lake Ellen Park when the leaves are changing, I mean, it looks like a college football game. Yeah, right. In a sense. And we had some battles with York now. Now, back then, York was – I thought they were nasty. We had some battles. I mean, real real battles. Um, my junior year, we were playing over at West. We were down 14 nothing going in the fourth quarter. And we came back and won that game. But th- those games were battles. When Coach Groundwinkle was at, at mm-hmm. York, right. right? So, and it's funny how football has changed because back then, I remember a game we played LT, it was 10 to 7. You don't see those games anymore, man. No. You don't see quarterback. If someone would have gotten the shotgun back then, they would have stopped the game. Yeah. They wouldn't know what to do, right? <laughs> right. The, the one team that did throw was Wheaton Warrenville South. My buddy Tim Lesser is now the head coach at Western Michigan. Sure, we know Tim. And was a head coach here at Elmer's right. College, right? Yeah. 
And they were getting the gun a little bit, and they would throw it quite a bit because they had talent, they had receivers, and obviously Tim ended up being Division One quarterback. But everyone else, we were split back veer. We were power. Um, and I was a quarterback, and I threw the ball about six times a game maybe. You know, wow. that's nice. So option? Yeah, 100% right. option football. Yeah, wow. 100% option football. Awesome. And, but I was a three-sport athlete. And I, and I tell my boys now, and I tell the, the boys I coach at IC, is that I never had a day off all year. And I loved it because when football season was over and we didn't win state championships, get knocked out of the playoffs, I was at basketball the next day. And when basketball was over, I went right to the batting cage in Beaster Gym and started hitting baseball. And in the summer, I would do summer league basketball, baseball. We had our football camp. It wasn't as big as it is now. It's about two weeks of football and lifting. And then it was time in, you know, August to get back. And that's back when, you know, we had two-a-days. Yeah, right. There was a guy who was uh, the head basketball coach at Elmhurst College, now Elmhurst University, back about 15 years ago. And he had told me that when he got his master's degree, he did his big paper. I don't know if you call it a thesis when it's your master's. But um, on the fact that athletes are actually more disciplined in the classroom because they have such small time mm-hmm. windows to get their homework and their studying done that they just their whole lives become more disciplined. And and back to what you said about being a multi-sport athlete, you had to be extremely disciplined. And and I don't know if you were a great student, a mediocre student, but did did it do you think it helped you become more disciplined being an athlete? One hundred percent. A couple of things. Time management skills, right? Right. Because every day is not it's not the same, but it kind of is. You build a routine for yourself as a student athlete. I go to school, I go to practice, I come home and eat dinner with my family, I do my homework, I go to bed. I tell the kids now, it's not very exciting, right? It's not very exciting, but it gets you to where you want to go. It gets you to where you want to go because you're going to be a more disciplined person, you'll be a more accountable person, and you're going to get better grades. You are because you're going to carve out time every night that I have to do my homework or I have to study for this test because I'm not going to have the time tomorrow because I'm going to be in the practice field, I'm going to be in the gym, and be on the baseball field, lacrosse, soccer, whatever it may be. But also from a recruiting perspective, you want to get recruited? I can tell you right now, Coach Ferentz at Iowa, the first thing he looks for, one of the first things is how many sports do you play, right? You want multiple sport athletes who, one, haven't reached their ceiling in their sport yet, okay, that you can build them up to their ceiling now that they're going to be uh, single sport specific in college. Well, they haven't burned out too, right? No, they have yeah, not. Yeah. have not. And – I think that college coaches look for that. You know, this can be any sport. We'd be talking soccer and lacrosse too because they know about those time management skills, that accountability, being able to be coached by different voices, being able to practice different movements. You know, the first day of basketball, I would I, I would almost throw up. You know, it's, it's different <laughs> conditioning than football, much different. You know, football conditioning is, is six seconds. That's yep. as long as a play is. If it's longer than that, you're probably getting beat because you're giving up deep balls, right? And you're chasing someone down the field. So it's six seconds. Where basketball, that's all that change of direction, run up and down the floor. Coach Majewski was our basketball coach, Lee Majewski. Um, my senior year, one of my favorite coaches ever. And I remember looking at me saying, you're not going to make it today, are you? I'm like, no, probably not. <laughs> probably not. I'm taking voluntary charges just to get down the ground and get some air. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, man. But – and again, baseball is totally different. Yep. Right. Anyone says you don't have to be in shape for baseball, play high school baseball in the state of Illinois. When you're playing center field in April and it's 30 degrees and someone hits one in the gap, 
If you're not in shape, you're going to pop a hamstring and be out for a month. Two yeah. words, Greg Lazinski. <laughs> Remember him? <laughs> Love that guy. The bull, baby. Good old number 19. DH, and he didn't do much else. Nope. Yeah. Did you grow up with siblings? I did. I have a brother and a sister. Okay. My sister lives in, in, in Wheaton. Okay. Uh, my brother lives right down the street. Really? He, used to live, he lived in the city forever. Uh, lived in River North for 20-plus years and has recently moved out here. So you so, all stayed in the area. That's pretty we neat. We did. We did. We all so stayed. where do you fall in the order of your siblings? I'm the oldest. Okay. I'm the oldest. So can you kind of give us an idea of when you decided that you thought you had a shot at D1 athletics in mm. college and how that recruiting went? Who recruited you? Was it the head coach, the assistants? I know Hayden Fry was a head coach yep. when you started, but can you kind of tell us about that whole process? Yeah, it's, it's totally different than it is now. I bet. Completely yeah. different. There, yeah. One, there was no social media. Right. There was no cell phones. Yeah. Much more face-to-face time. Right. Coach Fry came to my house a couple times. Now head coaches might not even make a home visit and still offer you, right? Yeah, right. Um, and, and all the recruiting really, it, it was in such a short time, time window. So when you got done with your senior season, you took actual visits. You know, full weekend visits. And you had about a month and a half till signing day. So that's when a lot of the offers came in. Um, and look, it, Coach Jim Covers, my head coach at Glenmore West, he was sending out my highlights on VHS tape. Yeah. In, yeah. in, in envelopes, it. you know. Love it. That's how people saw you. Yeah. Making uh, phone calls. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was so yeah. different. And yeah. so much more face-to-face time. But I'll tell you, it was overwhelming. Um you know, I wasn't getting recruited by Michigan or Ohio State, but I had good offers and a lot of Big Ten offers. But I was so overwhelmed at the end of it. And, and you know, it was getting to a point where every day there'd be a coach uh, talking to Coach Cover, come down, last period of school, meet with this coach. And I'm not going to say the school, but it was a coach, and I was so overwhelmed I did school. <laughs> I went Are home. you kidding really? me? Really? No, I just went wow. home. I went home. I, I mean, I faked sick and went home. But okay. Uh, I wasn't sick at all. I so, just, real, real quick, time out. You, you're talking about Michigan and Ohio State didn't recruit you. Later on, when you made it to the NFL, did you say, hey, worked out pretty good for me, and there's a lot of guys that went to Michigan and Ohio State that didn't make it in the NFL? Well, sure. Plus, Iowa's no slack school. For no, football. it's not. It's yeah. not. It's yeah. not. Um, but, sure, you remember that stuff. Yeah. I'm never going to repeat that stuff. But, you know, everyone develops at different rates. Right. Uh, 100%. I was a, a perfect example of that. Is Iowa will take a two-star kid, and by the time he graduates and gets drafted, he's now a five-star kid. Right? And everyone develops at different rates. Um, the, the college weight room and training table is a magical thing. They can make you t- develop so fast. Um, yeah, the so. technology behind uh, nutrition and fitness is incredible compared to how it used to be. Right. Our training table is steak and potatoes. That's what you – and yeah. milk. That's, yeah. what, that's right. what you ate. <laughs> right? And, and the, the lifting was so different. It was almost like bodybuilding. You know, big, yeah. bulky, powerful, yeah. but not functional movement traits like you see now. Yeah. And now all the training is so different. I was talking to someone today just on quarterbacks. Every time we go out there Friday night and we're warming up, the quarterback and the opposing team can – Spin the heck out of football. All everyone can now because they're being developed and taught at such a younger age. Passing games have exploded. Football is so much faster, and now people stretch you horizontally and vertically at the same time. So today's athlete is much better, much better. So were you recruited as a DB? No, I was recruited as a quarterback. As a quarterback to go. No, it was kind of split. Okay, and you guys know the name, but I wanted to be the next Chuck Long. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was a Heisman. 
hopeful. Yeah, he almost won a second place behind Bo Jackson. That's, there you go. That's not bad, right? Yeah, so Bo, Bo Jackson wasn't a bad athlete, <laughs> no, as I no, recall. No. Were, were you allowed to play any defense in high school? Sure. I played both ways. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. All right. We, back then, there was only six classes, but uh, we were one of the smaller 6A schools. Okay. So I played safety and corner uh, and, and quarterback. Um, so there were programs that recruited me, quote unquote, as an athlete, you know, find a spot for you on defense. And, but I wanted to be the next Chuck Long. Yeah. And I wanted to, you know, throw the ball in Hayden Fry's offense. And we had the tight ends used to stand up back then. I don't know if you guys remember that stand up with their hands and their hips. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember, it's funny. I say this because Chuck Long was our defensive back coach at the time. How, oh, how, wow. how, did, how did that, that happen? happen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, who would have thought that? I know. Well, look, I've always said this. If you know football, you know football. Right. Because you need to study both sides of, of the ball. So Chuck was our defensive back coach. And, you know, I was in the scout team. And back then, it, <clears throat> you were allowed to hit as much as you want. There was no rules, no regulations. And I had a red jersey on. It didn't matter. Those varsity guys beat me to death. <laughs> I got hit going back to the huddle at times. Okay. So, and that's how football was played back then. All right. It was old school Big Ten football in the mid 90s, 1995. And about halfway through the season, I said, you know what? I don't know if this quarterback thing is, is going to work. We had these, these Friday scrimmages. Uh, Coach Fry called them Hawk hitters for the freshman guys. And they were live on Fridays in the bubble, indoors. And, I mean, I just didn't see things well as a quarterback. I mean, if it was my first read wasn't there, I was gone. Just take off and run. Coach Fry would say, Sonny, you can't do that up here. <laughs> and I went in to meet with, with Coach Long. Coach Long said, do you want to play on Sundays? And I said, of course I do. He said, and he was honest. It's not going to happen at quarterback. Come play defense for me. And so I switched over. Um, right as the bowl game, bowl practice, we were playing the Sun Bowl that year against Washington. Right as bowl practices started, I went over and played defensive back. You know, you had to learn how to play backwards again because you haven't done it for a year. Um, and I had to wait my time. I tell the kids I coach all the time because now with the transfer portal, everyone just leaves, right? Yeah. It's not working yeah. out for me. I'm going somewhere else. I had to wait three years post high school to play. Wow. Because I was a redshirt freshman. And then I played behind Damian Robinson and Kerry Cooks who were both NFL draft picks. I wasn't going to beat those guys out. I wasn't ready to beat them out, right? I needed time to develop, learn the position at the collegiate level, the Big Ten level. To understand how to play. So how much years. of your talent do you think is between your ears and how much is just natural physical hard work? I mean, how, how much is is it knowing what to do? Well, I, I, I think the mental aspect's huge. Uh, alignment and assignment, that's just a cover charge to get in the field, right? If you don't know how to line up, adjust, and communicate in the secondary, I can't put you on the field as a coach, right? Not at the Big Ten level. Um, so the mental aspect is a, a major part of it because as a defensive player, defense is so much more loose than offense. Offensive football to me is very robotic because it's all scripted. It's like a play, right? It's like going to the theater where defense is read and react. I see something, I'm going to go get it. Some of the best safeties we watch on Sundays, they are urgent and they play with such a tempo that you can't really teach. You have to see it with your eyes first. So understanding where to align, where to put your eyes is the number one thing. Now I can play fast. Now I can be an athlete. Now I can go get it. But I needed to develop my body too. You know, again, back in the 90s, we lifted, but not like you do now. Yeah, right. I really didn't. And I didn't know how to do hand cleans. I didn't really know how to squat. Um, so I had to learn all that stuff well in the weight room. But yeah, three years post high school, you know, played some special teams. And back then, special teams was the Wild West. There were no rules. 
You can put the crown of your helmet in someone's ear hole right in their face mask. You could knock Truncanada into the next week if you want. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Too. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who don't know that, Google that Trump candidate Matt Bowen hit. <laughs> Take a look at that. Coach Spurrier was not happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? I, we might have checked that out, wait Matt. A I watched it, though, and I, I actually thought that it was kind of like understandable. He he was running at you so fast, and you just cracked him, and he popped off. He like, had it coming. He bounced off you like you were solid. It was full pads. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm not a cheap shot guy, so we're no, full, it was clean. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. full gear, totally clean, full gear in the yeah. NFL, and yeah. it's about it was about day three or four of two a days, and those NFL camps were, I mean, they're horrible. They're horrible, like from an experience standpoint. And we practice in Ashburn, Virginia, which is pretty warm in August. Yeah. And about the third, fourth day of practice, you just like, I don't want to do this really. <laughs> so, and we were having a, a down day defensively, and we needed some energy, and the opportunity presented itself. Yeah. So transition us into Iowa to the NFL. What what was that? Let me let me just ask one more yeah, question go, go about ahead. Iowa. Yeah, that, no, that's ahead. about the transition between Coach Fry and Coach Ferentz and how that went down and how the players took that. I I don't remember why Fry left. If he just retired or got okay, yeah. Or, Coach Fry was sick. What, Coach, what year was this for you? Not, this was going into my senior year. Oh, okay. So this right. is going into the '99 season. Um, we didn't know it at the time. But Coach Fry had cancer. Mm. And then Bobby Elliott was expected to be the next coach in line. Bobby Elliott had bone cancer. So the, the search began for a new coach. Uh, Bobby Stoops was interviewed. And Coach Ferentz was coming from Maine, right? Uh, head coach at the University of Maine. But before that, Kirk was in the NFL for a long time. He worked under Coach Belichick in Cleveland. Coached the offensive line in Baltimore. An outstanding coach. But it was hard. Because um, I went... At my earlier in my career at Iowa, going to a bowl game every year. And my senior – you wait for your senior year for everything, right? My senior year, we won one football game. Oof, wow. We, beat, we, beat, we lost to Nebraska, playing Nebraska week one. They were number one or number two in the country. Seven nothing at halftime. I'm saying, well, we got a good football team. And Eric Crouch, who won the Heisman, took over the second half. Yeah. And they beat us 35-7 to seven or something wild like that. Then, then we came back and we went up to Ames. And we lost Iowa State 17 to 7. And we beat NIU and then nothing. Do you think that hurt, or did you feel at the time that hurt your capital as it related to making it in the NFL because of the Oh, team? sure. I mean, I didn't think that at the time, but I could tell you now it does because, I mean, guys are playing championship teams and, and, and bowl teams, they, they have better tape. It's just because you have a better team you're playing with. All right. But I'll, I'll never get over it. I never will. And people say that. I have to? No, I never will. I waited forever, and I went to Iowa to go to Pasadena. And that didn't happen. That's okay. Wait, I did get to play in bowl games. But I'll never get over going 1-10 as a senior in college. I never will. It's got to be tough. Malort, sorry to interrupt. Go no, I just, uh, you know, start talking about NFL guys, and it seemed like a natural spot to jump over. But along your lines, Rick, before we move along, uh, it makes me want to ask you one more question, which is of all of the rivalries and the Big Ten, mm-hmm. what was the rivalry for you? Like, what was the game you got up most for? Well, the first one was Iowa State. Sure. That was the sure. first one. Yeah, makes sense. But uh, for us, it was Minnesota. Really? Yes. Nice. Yeah, you didn't read the mow-down questions, did you, Malora? It it's not, not his question. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, in Minnesota, we play for Florida Rosedale. It's a trophy of a bronze pig. Nice. And uh, the story, I think the story is there was a, a farm right in the state lines that had this, you know, award-winning pig. And they didn't know 
what side it was. So now you play for it. And who who, who was the pick dating on the Gophers? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Welcome to the Midwest, right? We're playing for a pig. Right. But back then it was it was unique because when you played the Gophers, you played in the Metrodome where the Vikings played. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that was unique. But that was probably the one. Obviously, Iowa State, but Illinois, too, to an extent. Because okay. early in the 90s, Illinois was pretty nasty. Yep. And Hayden would try to run it up on him. And Hayden would run gadget plays when he's up three scores. So there was some bad blood there with Illinois as well. Wow. Um, but Minnesota was a big one for us. So it was always the last game of the year. And I always remember that. You know, I told you one game. We were on the two-yard line, fourth down to win the game. You know, our, my last game as a senior. You know, I'm thinking if we, even after this season, if we win this game, I'm getting two 30-packs of Bush Light. We're going to have a good time, <laughs> right? <laughs> even after this game. And, we, and they knocked the pass down. I'll, I'll, oh. I'll always remember that too. But, look, I, I'll say this. That transition, I always believe that where, where Iowa football is now under Kirk, and he's been there, what, 22, 23 years, longest, longest, tenure, longest coach tenure yeah, in the country for a reason. In the whole country? Yes. Division one? Wow, I didn't realize. Yeah. I knew Big in Ten. Big Ten, right. Yeah. Or Big 14, as I like to call yeah. it. <laughs> uh, ama- amazing man. That's the first thing. Amazing person. Outstanding football coach. Um, but I still, as much as I can't get over that, and I never, like I said, I never will, I still feel like we played a role in that. And going through the the bumps and the bruises early, yeah. Um, because you still have to try to establish an identity and establish a culture. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. You have to. Yeah. So, did we finish at Iowa with a degree, or did you go back for your degree? Did no, you I finished. Degree? Did you? And your degree is in what? Uh, my undergrad degree is in journalism. Fantastic. I have a, I have a master's at, from Nepal. Wow. So when I got done playing, um, after my last year with Buffalo, I was thirty-one, and we just had Matthew. Um, we were living in the city. We lived on Fremont and Addison, right by Wrigley. Nice. And when you're done playing football, it doesn't matter if you're um, Tom Brady or myself, you float. You don't really know what to do because everyone else has been in the workforce for 10 years and you haven't. So you don't know what to do. And the NFL has a thing where they'll pay for three years post-career education. Oh, really? So my wife has got two masters and she said, I think you should go back to school. I said, you are out of your mind. (laughs) Go back to school. No way. But then I did some research on it, and I found a program at DePaul. Uh, it's in the English department. It's called um, Writing and Publishing. Okay, so it's more – it's it's under the English uh, tent, so to say. But it's it's different. It's, it's short story cycle. It's poetry. It's fiction. Long-form writing. It really, really made me a better writer because as a journalism major, very structured, right? Right. And I think sometimes you can lose your voice, lose your tone, who you are. And it really developed me as a writer, helped me as a speaker. Uh, to go back. But I'll tell you, I went in there. One of my first classes was composition theory. And I'm sitting there thinking, there's, dude, I don't belong. There's no way I can do this. <laughs> and they had everyone to introduce himself, right? And <clears throat> I was older. Um, and everyone was introducing themselves. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be honest. You know, I, I, I'm Matt Bowen. I played in the NFL. For seven. No one cared. Yeah. <laughs> no one cared. Yeah. Well, no what one what cared. a blow to the Not ego. Not a lot of fans there. No, no one cared. Well, we'd love to hear some of your poetry. I do have a lot of poetry. I actually do. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, but goes that, to show you're well-rounded, yeah, just like a well-rounded athlete. So, your your undergrad degree in journalism was mm-hmm. it? Is journalism purely writing, or is it? Uh, well, back then it was. Okay. Now it's it's you know the journalism department at Iowa is more mass media, digital content involved, like yeah, I what I do at ESPN. Say, you know, yeah, that's digital right. content. Back then, you had the newspaper. So I used to write for the Daily Iowa. And I remember I used to get $8 a column 
and the NCAA would not let me accept it. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, right. Could you yeah. donate it? No, nothing. That, oh, in yeah. Iowa City in 1996, 97, that is, that is eight Bud Heavies or eight Bush Lights on a Thursday night. Right. Bo- long neck bottles, right. right? It goes a long way. Yeah, right. And uh, <laughs> they would not let me accept it. This is Mary Beth Harper, director of the Elmhurst Public Library, and you're listening to the E-Town Lowdown with your hosts, Robbie and Rick, but PK is the one with all the talent. And now, it's time for another installment of One Ponce a Time with Lowdown legend PK and his overly enthused yesteryear expert friend, Elmhurst History Museum director, Dave Oberg. Hey, boys and girls. Did you know that one ponce a time, Elmhurst was home to a legendary NASCAR driver? In the 1960s, local boy Fred Lorenzen arrived on the scene to become the first northerner to become a NASCAR champion. With his movie star looks, cool professional demeanor, and skill on the track, Lorenzen blazed like a comet in the racing world. Known to his fans as Fearless Freddy, the Golden Boy, and the Elmhurst Express, Lorenzen collected 26 checkered flags in his storied career. All right, so let's take a little deeper. Um, Even as a boy, Fred Lorenzen dreamed of auto racing. His go-kart racing was the terror of the neighborhood until local police actually seized it. On warm summer days as a young man, he would listen to NASCAR races on the radio from a tent in the family yard. And by the time he was 18, he had already begun auto racing on dirt tracks and also dabbled a little bit in drag racing as well. In 1958-1959, he posted back-to-back wins in the United States Auto Club Stock Car Division Championships. Uh, Lorenzen had tried to break into the NASCAR circuit as an independent driver, but it proved too expensive. But Lorenzen's blazing speed and style had caught the eye of Ralph Moody of the famed Holman Moody Ford Racing Group. Moody called Lorenzen on Christmas Eve of 1960 to offer him the ultimate gift a chance to drive for Holman Moody Ford in the 1961 NASCAR season. Lorenzen did not disappoint. In the 61 season, his daring high-low maneuver on turn two of the Darlington race rocketed him past Curtis Turner on final lap to victory. The gutsy move earned him the nickname Fearless Freddy. Humble and hardworking, Lorenzen would arrive at 7 a.m. at the race shop and work side-by-side with his crew on the engine. Working on the car, he maintained, got him closer to the vehicle and gave him an edge. He was known to write the word think and post it on the dash as a reminder to constantly scan the horizon for opportunity when racing. Now, Lorenzen's good looks, nice manners, and regard for the fans helped his northerner break into a southern sport of NASCAR and earned him another nickname, the Golden Boy. By 1963, the Golden Boy proved he had the Midas touch. With six wins, 21 top five finishes, and 25 top 10 finishes, he became the first NASCAR driver to earn $100,000 in a single season about the equivalent of 850000 today. He would prove to be the only NASCAR driver to win 20 races in his first 100 starts. In the 65 season, his number 28 Lafayette Ford cruised to victory at the Daytona 500 and the Atlanta 600. He would win the Atlanta 600 three years in a row, a first in NASCAR history. Over time, life on the road wore on Lorenzen, though. He retired from NASCAR in 1967, returning briefly to the sport in 1970. With his good looks and charm, he tried his hand in Hollywood with parts in three racing-themed movies. Eventually, he'd turn that charm into another successful career in real estate. But the passion for racing never left him, and NASCAR never forgot the Elmhurst Express. In 1998, Fred Lorenzen was named one of NASCAR's top 50 drivers. 
He was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2015. Racer Daryl Waltrip described him as the Jeff Gordon of his day. Winston Kelly, the executive director of the NASCAR Hall of Fame, noted he excelled on big tracks and big races. Now, if you'd like to learn a little more about Fred Lorenzen, you can visit us at the Elmhurst History Museum. Our exhibit, by all accounts, um, has a section on the Elmhurst Express, including photographs, stories, film footage, even one of his trophies, and the museum gift shop has a limited number of autographed posters we'd like to honor our local racing legend. Wow, Dave, that's really cool. You know, he lived a couple blocks away from me when I was growing up, and I used to walk by his house almost every day on the way to school, and I remember thinking it was really cool. Matter of fact, he inspired me so much, I set up a separate bank account to go to racing school someday. I ended up using that to go to college, but so be it. It's pretty exciting to have him from our town. Thanks a lot, I think Dave. so, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, me racing's in your future. <laughs> <laughs> Better hurry up. Hi, this is pro football journalist Matt Bowen. When I'm in the mood for Malort, it needs to be in a hot tub with PK and Rick. The E-Town Lowdown. My God, these guys are horrible. So back to where Malort was going, the, the, your NFL prospect, you know, you, did you think you were going to get drafted earlier than you did, later than you sure. did? I, I thought I'd go a little earlier. I, I, you know, back then the draft was Saturday and Sunday, so you had two days. So right. I knew I'd be a day two pick, which is fourth, fifth, somewhere in there. Um, and I remember getting calls, and this still happens. I got a call from the Pittsburgh Steelers in the fourth round. So they're going to draft me. I'm thinking it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm big in the history of the league. Yeah. They drafted someone else. And the Dallas Cowboys. I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to wear the star on the side of my helmet. You know, that's, yeah. that's big for me. Did not happen. So um, it's a long wait. It's a very long wait when you think you're going to go higher. But it turned out to be a great situation, getting drafted by, you know, defending Super Bowl champions. Um, and being in that locker room with all those veteran players, Hall of Fame players with Coach Martz, and there was a great opportunity for me there because they didn't have a ton of depth at the safety position and I actually got to start a couple games as a rookie. So it turned out to be the, the best thing for me, but sure, everyone wants to go higher. Everyone who's not drafted one overall wants to go higher. So was your family happy that you, you got picked by St. Louis closer to home than – I think my mom and dad were, sure. Sure, sure they were. Sure. Um, Do you think you were vindicated getting the Rams Rookie of the Year award? Um, like I should have gone higher. <laughs> you, you guys, you should have picked me in the fourth round or whatever. <laughs> but the funny thing about that is I ended up getting cut my second year. And what happened was I, I broke my foot in the week one game. So uh, we're playing out at the vet, the old Philly stadium. Well, that the place was notorious for being a horrible place, In, right? Knee injuries, foot injuries, every injury. And I stepped on one of those seams, you know, the, the, the base pass cover. Yep. And I heard it right there, snap, Ugh. I'm done. Um, and so, fast forward like four to six weeks, that's along the recovery process for a Jones fracture. And they said they're going to waive me. And the person who told me that was Lovey. Lovey Smith was a defense wow. coordinator. Oh, wow. And <clears throat> I, mean, I was crushed. And I'm saying, one, you can't do this, I'm hurt. Uh, and then you go through a grievance process with your agent and all that stuff, a bunch of doctors. But in the meantime, you go on a workout tour, right? So I flew to Arizona, worked out for the Cardinals, then flew to San Francisco, worked out for the Niners, then flew to Seattle, worked out for them, took the red eye to, to, to New England. And, you know, you don't sleep. By then, I had no clothes left here, no, no clean clothes. 
Uh, just my cleats, basically. Wow. And I went out there and worked out for Belichick and Scott Piola. What do you do on that, on these workouts? They're all different. It depends what each oh, team okay. does. Like, Belichick put me through a bunch of special team stuff. Like, getting a head start, working through bags, showing my ability to use my hands, break down in space, come to balance. Um, Green Bay, I ended up going to Green Bay, too. Green Bay had me do more combine-specific drills and then put me through workouts. Uh, some, some are just height, weight, and speed. What they want to see. They have your tape already. So I was going to, the Patriots going to sign me. I went down to Boston, uh, Mass General in Boston. Came back. They said, your foot's still broken. We can't sign you. Oh, geez. So they go on to win a thousand Super Bowls. But <laughs> it, a thousand and two. Yeah. But it turned out, again, a blessing. I get home back to St. Louis and I'm watching the Yankees in the World Series. And Mike Sherman calls me, head coach of the Packers. He says, we're going we're gonna to sign you. He said, I know that you're still hurt, but when you're ready to play, you're going to play for us. So I loved, I loved everything about Green Bay. And, again, your parents are happy because now you're even closer. Right, sure. Right. Sure. And and I wasn't one of the owners back then okay. like I am now. <laughs> yeah. How many shares do we have, you didn't, Rick? You didn't influence that decision? Uno. One very <laughs> important share of the Packers. Right. So – I loved. I wanted to stay in Green Bay. I really did. But that league's about opportunity. If someone's going to give you a four-year offer, which Washington did, you have to go. You have to. You have so many chances. We were going to, or I was going to ask about the uh, Packer experience because I didn't understand it. I grew up in Chicago, Bears fan, all that stuff. But then Rick got me to go to a Packers game, and I'm like, I get this, man. This yeah. is awesome. I thought it was like playing would be like the equivalent of playing for the Yankees. Yeah. That's why I look at well, it. Well, it's like the Cowboys are in that same kind of like yeah, America's right. team. Yeah. They are, but they don't have Lambeau Field. It, oh. You know, and there's right. something special about Lambeau. Back then, they were just building the atrium and all that. Right. So we still had like the green paneling on the outside of Lambeau. It was really old school. We used to walk down these concrete steps. They're all cracked to the stadium. I'm thinking, you know, this is what Paul Hornet walked, Reggie White, yeah. Mark Starr. You can feel the, the aura. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember going in there to the locker room. I just show up like on a Wednesday morning, right? No one knows who I am. I see Favre. I'm like, this is, this is pretty awesome. Nice. You know, to wear that helmet, to play with Brett Favre. Um, and we had good teams. We went to the playoffs that year. Um, got knocked out. Um, but the second, in the second year, second year, I thought that was Super Bowl team. So this is 2002. I thought we were a Super Bowl team for sure. We were, we were 12-3 and three going into week 17. If we were to beat – the Jets, we would have had home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And we went there, and the Jets absolutely destroyed us. Hmm. Absolutely destroyed us. Like 48-17, something wild like that. So we're on the plane heading home, and they tell us that we're playing six days later. Now on wild card weekend, not, not the number one seed, against Atlanta on this young quarterback named Michael Vick. And the Packers had never lost at Lambeau Field. And Michael Vick came into Lambeau and beat us. Every third down play he made. And it wasn't like a 25-yard game. Might be six, might be four, might be seven. He got it. So did, did somebody have to shadow him that game? I mean, that we tried. That wasn't you, was it? No, we tried. <laughs> we tried with everyone we had. Didn't yeah. work. Who did the Jets have at quarterback? Do you recall? Chad Pennington. Okay. Wow. It's a guy you don't think of much. Right. So the, the funny thing about that is the Jets needed like Miami to win or something. And they announced it in the middle of the second quarter that Miami won. The stadium was electric. It was like a brand new yeah. team we were playing wow. all of a sudden. Because, look, you get in the playoffs, you get playoff checks, you get more money. Yeah, right. You play well in the playoffs, you get paid more throughout your career. You know, it's a much different feel, environment, and value 
to an NFL playoff game compared to a noon kickoff against Detroit. It just is, right? Yeah. And every front office guy, every scout, every pro scout, pro scouting department watches those games with more value. And everyone knows that. So when you get from basically Thanksgiving to the end of December, the speed of the game increases dramatically. When you get to January, it's the fastest thing you've ever seen in your life. Fastest and most violent thing you've ever seen. So you played for four different NFL teams and at least five head coaches. I know yeah. at Washington there was a change yep. between Spurrier and Gibbs. Can you talk about maybe the the culture difference between the teams and if there was a culture that stood out as your favorite and one maybe that was your least favorite, if, you, if you're willing to say that? Sure. Um, there was a big culture shift with Coach Gibbs and Coach Spurrier. And Coach Gibbs is one of the best – Everything he touches turns to gold. He goes to NASCAR and win, right? Well, I was going to say, Rick's familiar with him, but only on the oval. Yeah. Well, left left turns mostly. Yeah, left yeah. turns mostly. But Coach Gibbs is, is – think about it. He won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. You know how hard that is to do. Doug Williams. Yeah. Especially who was those... my hero as a kid with Tampa sure. Bay. Like, Doug, sure. he couldn't do anything in Tampa. Gibbs gets him. I was going to say it's hard yeah. to win with three different quarterbacks, especially when they're not all that great. Right. And, and look – Greg Williams is our defense coordinator, who I love. Uh, he taught me a lot, and it was a dramatic shift in culture compared to the physicality of the two different programs. Where Coach Spurrier, look, Coach Spurrier is a brilliant offensive mind, brilliant. But we are a very offensive-focused-based team. And I think at times that hurt us on defense and special teams. Uh, but our practices were, you know, a lot of perimeter run periods and seven-on-seven seven and passing periods. With Joe Gibbs, it was nine-on-seven, which is inside run. There's nowhere to hide. And we did it twice a day for six weeks. I remember with – I always tell the story. And we used to pound on each other in that camp, just pound on each other. And back then, you played in the preseason. It wasn't like now. If you were a starter, which I was, you played the first game, probably quarter and a half. Second game, you played to halftime. The third game, you played into the third quarter. And this is after four weeks of two-a-days, right? And we were playing Miami in the third preseason game and we were playing them on Saturday. We had full padded practice Friday morning and went after each other. Then got on a plane and flew down to Miami and to play in that heat. I mean, that was horrible experience. I came out of the locker room after the second preseason game, and I was down like 195 pounds. And my mom and dad were there. My mom said, are you not eating? Yeah. I said, Mom, I'm eating, I'm eating as much as I can. It's just we're two practices a day. And Greg, we had conditioning, like old school conditioning. We would start practice with 40 up-downs. In pads, then go to special teams drills, then, you know, throughout, the, you know, practice. So it was one of the hardest experiences I've had as an athlete, but just an awesome culture to be around because you were motivated, you were held accountable in everything you did, everything. I remember we, we had a we play in the Niners, Frank Gore's rookie season, and I took a terrible angle from the deep half, went around the outside and scored a touchdown. I think, Greg, we were on that play 25 times in the meeting. I'm sitting there, what is this going to stop? I know you're mad, Greg, but golly, what is this going to stop? But I love that defense because Greg knew what I could and couldn't do. Okay? He's not going to match me up against Randy Moss or he's going to lose his job because I can't cover Randy Moss. The first game we played, it was against Gruden and the Bucks in 04, and I think I blitzed like 12 times. And that's what I was, I was a blitzer. I just, he just kept sending me, sending me, sending me. Um, but an awesome coach. But that was a big difference in terms of culture. Two different ways of looking at football 
philosophy, but also the way of how you practice. Can you name one player you played with in the NFL and one player you played against that you really, really admired for whatever reason? It might have just been their character of the player or the way they played. Well, uh, okay, played with. That's a tough one because I don't want to leave anyone out. I was very lucky to play with Favre. Don't, don't worry, they're not listening. I know. Kurt Warner in the <laughs> Hall of Fame. It was in the Hall of Fame. Marshall Fox in the Hall of Fame. And I would probably say Todd Light. Okay, Todd Light. Notre Dame Todd Light? Notre Dame Todd Light. That's not, not Matt Light Lord. from Purdue. No. No, okay, Todd Light. I would say Todd Light. I really looked up to Todd. He helped me a lot. He was a veteran corner with the Rams. Uh, he wore 41. I eventually wore 41. Um, Todd's one of those guys. Mark Brunell was outstanding, our quarterback in Washington. Uh, Sean Taylor, uh, we know Sean Taylor's past, but sure. Sean, Taylor Sean Taylor played with him in Washington. I respected the way he played the game and the, the playmaking mentality he had, the aggressive mentality, the competitive edge he brought to every situation, practice or football game, and obviously Favre. Uh, I'll be honest, there was times when we're doing defensive adjustments in Green Bay, and it's hard not to watch him, right? Right. It's hard not to watch him. We played a game. It was when the Bears were redoing Soldier. It was down in, Monday night down in Champagne. Yeah. Yep. And oh, Favre yeah. threw that pass to Donald Driver. Beginning of the game, I said, this is over. We're going we're gonna to beat him. This is over. <laughs> but I loved, I loved playing with Brett and uh, just seeing the way that he handled himself, carried himself. Special, have, special talent, right? It was. Yeah. Special talent. I, and I've told people, I wish I could play like that. Yeah. I, but that's not my personality. I'm too structured of a person. Um that I was the alignment assignment guy, right? Yeah. Everything had to be by the book. Yeah. Because I didn't have high-level talent. I had to be by the book. Uh, where Brett had elite talent and would go outside of structure and make these plays, you're saying, man, if I was quarterback, I don't know if I'd have the guts to make that throw. Right? Got him in trouble sometimes, sure. Right. right. But it was, a, it was a natural ability. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. how about somebody you played against? One, um, or, one or two. Played against, uh, well, I'd say, probably say Tony Gonzalez. You know, Hall of Fame tight end. Uh, just the way he played. Um, there was times that I did have to match up on him that did not go well. <laughs> I remember we were playing him. He's in, a big dude, too, We were right? playing them in Kansas City. Would you City. say you feared him? No, I didn't fear anybody. But I knew that if I didn't play, do everything right that I was going to. Yeah. Even if I did, he'd probably still beat me. So <laughs> it didn't really matter. But we were playing in... In Kansas City, we're 6-0 with the Rams. Talking about going 16-0. And we went there, and they scored 50-some points on us. And I was matched up to Gonzalez, low red zone, so inside the 10-yard line. And he just beat me. And I remember falling back and just looking up and seeing him dunk the ball over the goalpost. The ball was empty. I'm saying, this is not good. But Gonzalez (laughs) was one of those guys um, that you had to respect. Because if you didn't, then – he would run you out of the league. How about a teammate that was just crazy or mean? And I don't mean mean to you or mean to his teammates, but any any teammates that were just nuts? Oh, sure, sure. Anyone you'd like to call out or not? No, call out in a positive way. I played with uh, Grant Wistrom, you know, played in Nebraska. Um, and he could flip the switch on game day, okay, and just play relentless and nasty and physical – um, that's stuff you can't teach. I call those uncoachable traits. Yeah. Or you can't tell a kid, but you have to be nasty. Or you can't tell a kid, you have to be play wild, right? And just play out of control, but in a structured way. 
So I would say I would say uh, probably Grant Wister. So uh, back in his high school days at IC, PK was also termed uncoachable, but for totally different <laughs> reasons. <laughs> he was actually a captain as a center at yeah. IC. What what was then just IC high Immaculate school? Conception, right? yeah, it was an IC Catholic right. prep back right. then. Right. What was your claim to Don't fame? Don't have a lot to say there, man. <laughs> <laughs> so one I last. Did, I didn't get into D one uh, program or anything. One last question. We'll take a quick break, and that is uh, on behalf of my coworker John who is an avid Bears fan. I mean, he just uh, – Malort, yeah, would you no, agree? Yeah, avid's a good word. He absolutely yeah. loves the Bears. Over, the, he, over the top, he, Matt. Over the top. And I asked him if he knew who you were. He goes, absolutely. And you know, he's a sports junkie. He says, uh, ask Matt if there was a Bears quarterback he played against that he respected during his career. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I, I don't think he means respected as a human being, but as a quarterback. Um, I think it would have to be Grossman. Right, sure. Have to be Grossman yeah. in that Florida. Is that where you yeah. were? That we played here um, in '06 when I was with the Bills, and we got lit up. Uh, but Grossman for sure, and you had to respect Grossman because he had some of those second reaction traits when he get outside of structure and make a big play. Right, and he had the luxury of playing with a dominant run game and the league's best defense. Wow, John's so, going to be happy that John there, was Seifert, a, there was an answer. You got your answer. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take a quick break on the lowdown. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jack Island of the Silverado Grill. My definition of a great evening is yoga, Maryland crab cakes, and eat down lowdown with Robbie, Rick, and PK. Well, yoga and crab cakes. The staff and management of the E-Town Lowdown would like to assure our more sensitive listeners that our food critic Sal is really half Italian. His mother is from Poland and his father is from the great country of Italy. We hope you will enjoy and not be offended. Hey friends, Slappy Sal here for the E-Town Lowdown, here to tell you about a new place to eat in E-Town. It's called Primos Locos or Cugini Pazzi, for all you Italians out there, or uh, Crazy Cousins if you speak British. So Primos Locos opens up in the old McNally's location on York Road, just down the street from the tracks near downtown. So in honor of their name, I grabbed my two craziest cousins, Big Head Mike and Jimmy the Fish, and we headed over there to try it out. Instead of ordering separately, we just got a table full of tacos and we split them all up. You know what I mean? We had carne asada, al pastor, you know, pork shoulder, a chicken, and then we had to get fish for Cousin Jimmy. And you know what? They were all good. The people behind us looked like they ordered up some enchiladas and some fajitas, but I couldn't see on account of Mike's big head getting in my way. But it all smelled fantastic. The other thing about Primo's Locos is the drinks. Good quality tequila put in handcrafted cocktails like margaritas, and they also got Mexican craft beers on draft from a brewery in Chicago called the uh, Hasa Humilde, or Humble House. Two brothers started it out in the Hermosa neighborhood. Great beers, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So me and my Cugini sat around, ate some tacos, had some drinks. It was a good time. Legit, authentic food, and nice environment. After we are done, me, Big Head Mike, and Jimmy the Fish argued about how to say Uber in Spanish. But ultimately, the driver came and took us back to the old neighborhood. So in summary... Primos Locos gets the Cugini seal of approval. Go enjoy some chips and guac, have a drink, and relax. Remember what Mark Twain once said. Part of the secret of success in life 
is to eat what you like and let the food fight it out on the inside. This is Slappy Sal reporting for the Eat Town Lowdown. Hi, this is Pamela Dunley. As president and CEO of Elmhurst Hospital, I know that sometimes laughter can be the best medicine. When I need a good laugh, I tune into the E-Town Lowdown. And you should too. Give it a try. Okay, and now it's time for my favorite segment, the E-Town Lowdown Mowdown, where we're going to mow down our special guest, Matt Bowen, to his very core. You ready for this, Matt? I am. Let's go. Aaron Campman or Dallas Clark? Aaron Campman. Who's faster? Kyle Vandenbush or Matt Bowen? <laughs> I don't know where you're going with that. We have like <laughs> you, a thousand. You mispronounced his name. Like a, Kyle, I didn't. It's, it's Vandenbush. It's Vandenbosch. Bosch. You still, said dirt. No, you said er. It's in. It's Kyle Vandenbosch. There you we go. Had, we were at a football camp. He was still an active player, and I had like 25 beers in that before. So I count. <laughs> <laughs> and, and who's faster? You didn't well, answer the question. Based on the video, Kyle is. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ready for this? Mm. Batman or Superman? Batman all day. America needs blank. Farmers. Yes. Oh, there you go. Nice. He got that one right. <laughs> there are no right answers. TV or radio? Radio all day. Best NFL fandom? It's got to be the Green Bay Packers. Wow, that hurts. Hoorah! Cubs or Sox? Cubs, my boys like the Sox as my old man. <laughs> the book or the movie? The book all day. Bushlight or Bud Light? Come on, easy Bushlight. <laughs> Draft <laughs> day or Moneyball? Moneyball. I, I like Moneyball. That's a good movie. Restaurant or home cooking? I'm going to say home cooking. You can go home tonight, not sleep on a couch. Good for you. She's not listening tonight. Fiction or nonfiction? It's an excellent, excellent question, but I am a big fiction reader. Favorite color? Uh, navy blue. John Deere combine or NFL combine? <laughs> it's NFL combine for me. Trust me, I played a lot of guys at Iowa are going to say John Deere combine. Yeah. Your first record album. That I had? Yep. Yeah. Oh, I know what it was. Run DMC. Nice. With uh, doing Aerosmith or? No, it was just, a, I don't know which one it was, but it was Run DMC. I know that. I love it. Favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Jess Settles or Ricky Davis? Oh, Jess Settles. Fry or Ferentz? Oof. I can't answer that one, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to. We'll plead the fifth. Plead the fifth. Because I love <laughs> yeah, them both. Fair. I love them both. Mac or PC? Uh, Mac. Invisibility or super strength? Super strength. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Newspaper or online news? Newspaper. Hilltoppers or Knights? Knights. Good answer. Marsha Brady or Tom Brady? <laughs> I don't know how to answer. I'm going to say Marsha. <laughs> Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Paperback or hardcover? I'm a big hardcover guy. Favre or Warner? Favre. This is the question, right. so try not to screw it up. You ready? He yes. may not He may not even know this. He's too right? young. I don't know. We'll see. Marianne or Ginger? Ginger. All right. He got <laughs> it right. Wow. The first right answer we've had in months. Well done. Very good. Real grass or turf? Real grass. Favorite NFL stadium you played in? Lambeau Field. Another right answer. Wow. <laughs> he is so good. 
We're playing your strengths here. You ready? Yeah. Nickel, dime, or 50 cent? <laughs> I'll go dime. Rick Riley or Rick T. Lander? Uh, T. Lander. Fallon or Kimmel? Wait, say it again. Fallon or Kimmel? Oh, Jimmy Fallon. Niall Kinnick or Niall Diggs? <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time playing with Niall Diggs, but Niall Kinnick all day. Sack or interception? Interceptions are hard to get. Cyclones or Golden Gophers? Oof. I'm going to say Golden Gophers. I'm not, never going to say a Cyclones, so Golden Gophers. There you go. Pink Locker Room, Dirty Trick or Fair Tactic? That's Fair Tactic all day from Coach Fry. <laughs> did it work? At times. Yeah. At times it did, but that is something unique about Iowa. This next question is no fair because we already know the answer. Spurrier or Gibbs? Uh, and I'll, I'll preface it with this. I love playing for Coach Spurrier, but it, my answer is Coach Gibbs. All right, how about Cubs or Iowa Cubs? Oh, still the Chicago Cubs. There you go. Uh, quarterback or defensive back? Uh, now where I am, I'm, my mentality is defensive back. The Daily Herald or the Daily Iowan? I'm going to say the Daily Iowan. American underdog or American pie? Oh, it's American Pie. That was one of my favorites. <laughs> have you seen American Underdog? I have, I have, but American Pie, that's right when wow. I was like a rookie in the NFL. I mean, in my rookie class was like a frat house in St. Louis, and we watched that movie like a thousand times. <laughs> All right, last question. We're going to wrap it up. This is for the win. Boomer Esiason or Boomer Berman? Uh are we talking Boomer as a player, or Boomer as an announcer? Boomer Sison or Boomer Berman? Boomer you call Ber it Boomer Berman. I work for ESPN. Buck, 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 buck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that that in the history of the E Town Lowdown Modown, that's the first one hundred percent. Yeah, well done. Well <laughs> Good done. job, Matt. We'll Thank be right you. back. He's a winner. Hello, Pete Kruger here from the Elmhurst Independent newspaper. When I want a good laugh, I listen to E Town Lowdown. Even though Rick, Robbie. And PK, podcast from a hot tub, there are three cool dudes. Back here in the hot tub with our last segment with our special guest, Matt Bowen. And Matt, uh, so your current career is you're a journalist. Mm -hmm. And journalism is uh, kind of a fuzzy area now. It's, it's not just writing, it's TV, it's radio, it's podcasts, social media, all the above. What do you really enjoy and as it relates to journalism more than any other piece of that? Is it the writing aspect? I still go back to the writing because uh, that's what got me there. And I think it makes me a little unique uh, being a former player who, you know, the top of his resume is print journalism. Um, I think that makes you unique. But you bring up a great point. I tell <clears throat> young people want to get into this business. It is different. It is more about versatility now. Um, related to football, can you play safety but also be uh, core special teams players on all the coverage units? That makes you more valuable, right? The more you can do. That's the first thing I heard when I got to the NFL. The more you can do. That keeps you on the team. So the same thing in journalism. Can you do radio? Can you do some TV? Can you do podcasts? Can you do digital video? Can you do digital print? And I try to do all of it. And plus the social media aspect as well. So, um, it is a changing business, very much changing. Change, it's, I'm going, we'll be going into my eighth year at ESPN next year, and it's changed dramatically since my first year at ESPN. 
So, and I have a newspaper background. That was my thing, my newspaper background. Daily Iowan, every place I played at in the NFL, I went to the editor of the paper and said, can I write for you? You know, I'm not looking for money. Can I just write for you? I wrote for the uh, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, a couple columns, Washington Times, um, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel in Green Bay. And I wrote for this little paper in Buffalo called the Niagara Gazette. And my wife was teaching at Niagara University at the time. Uh, and I always kept, you know, that kind of in my back pocket. You know, back then we used to call them clips because they were actual clips. Yep. You'd cut them. Yep. And, and put them on your resume and send them in. Um, but that helped me tremendously. And that, that kept me, like I said, being different, being unique. As, as much radio and podcasting as you do, that is still something I value the most. Are there some journalists that you admire? Um, I think more authors. Okay. That I admire, you know, going through graduate school, someone like Norman Mailer, oh, um, wow. you know, Norman Mailer would, uh, an entire page would be one sentence and we'd have to diagram it, you know, a thousand semicolons and M dashes and all this stuff. I thought I was done diagramming sentences after sophomore year at Glumbar West, but no, I had to do it again. Uh, Norman Mailer is one of them. A lot of fiction for me, Lee Child, John Sanford. Um, those are in the summer. That's what I read. Uh, I'm big. Like I said, I'm big in the fiction. I want to be taken somewhere else uh, mentally. Um, have you written a book or are you thinking about it? And if so, I had what would a, it look like? I had an opportunity to write a book. Um, this was between working at the Chicago Tribune and starting at ESPN. It was for Triumph Books, downtown Chicago. And it was more of like an all-encompassing football book. There was going to be some scheme in there. There was going to be some coaching elements. There was going to be some stories. And it was a massive, you know, if you're going to write a book, it's a massive project. It's going to take over your life. At the time, I was just going to go start with ESPN. Didn't have the time for it. Um, but to, to, to answer your question, if I wrote a book, it would not be about sports. Really? Would it be fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. And any That's particular awesome. genre? Have you, have, you, have you thought about it? Uh, I would think it'd be on you know the same lines of what I read. You know, mystery, suspense. But that that if I ever wrote a book, that would be it. Have you gotten to know some mystery writers? Uh, not, not. There's a couple in the area that we know pretty well. That uh, well, that I think you're gonna have to introduce. I, I, I think I'm gonna have to. They've uh, published quite a few books. Uh, Bob Goldsboro, yeah. oh, sure. Elmhurst University graduate, wrote uh, continued the Rex Stout series. Nero Wolf, are you familiar Nero, with Nero, Nero Wolf? Wolf? Nero Wolf. He yeah. uh, after Rex Stout died, his family um, commissioned Bob to write some of the. The Nero Wolf books, so interesting guy. And then uh, Louisa Bueller writes mysteries. She's from the area, too. We'll have to get you in touch with them. I think you'd really find them interesting. So, Matt, you've got my curiosity peaked. At what point did you decide after your playing career that instead of a playbook, you were going to go to the AP style book? Like, why, <laughs> why not go into coaching and why go into journalism? Okay, so I'll answer that for you. You have a coach's mind. It's clear to anybody who talks to you. So... My son, Matthew, our oldest, we have four boys, um, 15, 14, 12, and 8. And I, I said at the top, Matthew is down center. And Matthew was born the six days after my last game in the NFL, um, playing for Buffalo. So we drove back from Buffalo. Uh, all four of my boys were born up in Evanston Hospital. Uh, and when Matthew was born and we found out that he had down syndrome, everything kind of changed a little bit. Sure. Um, and anyone who has son or daughter with special needs, there's no time to be, and this is me talking, there's no time to be selfish as a parent. Right. 
And I thought that would have been a very selfish move to say, I'm going to go coach football and try to be in college when we'll be recruiting all offseason or in the NFL when we'll be working 24 hours a day and sleeping in the office. Right. And I thought at the time that was not the proper path to take. Well, things happen for a reason too, right? right? So that's how I got going back to school and how everything else started. Um, But I've always wanted a coach. And now I am. So it's at a different level, but I've always said football is football. Right. And some of my, some of the best coaches I had from Glenbard West, some of the best that I would say are better than some position coaches I had in the National Football League. And I think at the high school level, it is so, it is, see, I've always said high school football is the last line of competitive innocence because it is. Especially right? now. Especially now with the transfer yep. porn on NIL yeah. and NIL, uh, yep. obviously the National Football League is the business of winning 100%. Yeah. Where if you don't win, everyone gets fired and everyone loses their job. So would you ever think that at this stage of the game in your career that people that might have been drafted around the time you were drafted in the NFL might be getting $350 million contracts to broadcast? No. <laughs> I, did not say, I did not think the guy who was drafted one spot after me and Tom Brady would still be playing football. It's true. Yeah, right. How do you think he's going to do as a broadcaster? And I, I know that, you know, that's the story about you, but we don't want to dwell on that, that mm-hmm. you were drafted one before him. But, but really, what, how's he going to do, do you think, in the booth? Um, well, I'll tell you this. The booth is, is completely different. I've, I called the state championship games for Comcast back then. Uh, I called Glenbar West's first championship in 2012, I believe it was. And that is hard. It's hard. I mean, it is really hard. And you, you, Tom Brady is one of the smartest players ever. So I think the challenge for Tom will be like the challenge I had when I first started writing is broadcasting this information at a level that everyone gets. That's why John Madden was so good, right? That's why I think Troy Aikman's very good. Because Troy Aikman will say it's a post route. People know what a post route is. Right. If you get too deep into the weeds, you're going to lose people. And that's something I really struggle with, especially on social media when I first started. I'm talking about these personnel groupings and calls from Washington. No one had any idea what I was talking about. No idea. But if you say it's a post route, if you say it's a corner route, it's a shallow crosser, call it a shallow crosser. I think his mind for it, he'll be outstanding. But like any new job, there will be a transition period, just like there's a transition period as a player going from college to the NFL. There is a transition period getting into this business where you have to realize how people process information, the information they want. But I do think he's going to be very good. So you mentioned that uh, social media, you engage in all these different channels of journalism. Do you have a fear in today's society that you might make a misstep, say something wrong, post something wrong, and get canceled, per se? Sure, you can lose your job in a second. And I am very cautious on social media. Um, I'll be honest, I get tired of it. There's times I just take days off. uh, Because if you don't, then you're working 24-7. Right. Right? Right. You're working 24-7. So I always tell this, and I give a big social media uh, talk to our team at IC every summer. Every time I tweet something, I'm representing my parents in Glen Ellen, my brother and my sister, my wife, my four boys, Disney, which owns a city SPN, and a Catholic high school football team. So you don't have to have an opinion on everything. If you do, you can tell your, tell your, tell your friends. It doesn't always need to go on social media. You know, I, don't, I try desperately not to wade into things. 
Because once you, once you wade into it, you're stuck. All right, so I just watch from the outside. And I try to keep it football related. I mean, I really do. Um, I don't tweet much about my family. Um, that's it's my family, not yours, right? So uh, I keep it football and job related. I do a lot with our high school kids because I want to get them as much exposure as possible. I'm extremely proud to be at IC. So I tweet as much as I can about IC in a positive way. Um, how did you end up coming at Elmhurst? Well, it's, <clears throat> the reason we did was we looked at Glen Ellen. We looked at a lot of different uh, Chicago suburbs moving out from the city. We lived in the city for nine years. And the reason we did was, one, I knew the town. My wife's from Arlington Heights, Prospect area, so she knows the town as well. But it had one high school. And my fear was that if I had four public school boys and I went to a town with two high schools, like Glen Ellen, which is west and south, that what if south was better for special needs kids? And I had to separate my boys. Mm. Um, so it ends up that I'm going to have two at York now and two that are going to go to IC. But that's life, right? Things change. They're, uh, they're four blocks apart. Yeah. So. And, um, you know, I didn't come to IC. Think, I mean, come to Elmer's thing, I wasn't going to be at IC. I did not. And then I went over to Mike Calcagno's office. <laughs> at Olympia we all know Th- Mike. Yeah. Yep. Over at Olymp- Olympia Therapy. And, uh, put you, just, he put you in a headlock? No. That, <laughs> he has plenty of times. Mike has. But uh, I went there to get maintenance in my back, my Achilles, neck, all that stuff. And he asked me one day if I wanted a coach. I said, I love the coach. Sure. I got a newsflash for you. If you'd have said no, he would have said yes anyway. Yeah, I know. I know, Mike. <laughs> so how do you feel about NCAA athletes uh, having the opportunity to get paid? I don't, I'll say this. I don't mind the NIL at all. I don't. What I've always said, though, is I don't think college athletes should be paid by the university. I think you're getting into uh, the weeds there. Because then it's the true business of winning. Not that college football isn't already. But then what happens if you don't play well? Is a coach allowed to cut them like a pro athlete? Right. Because you are getting a free education. People say, oh, no, it is a free education. And it's a two-way street. Which is, which is which is worth a great That's a great angle on that. I never really thought of that. Like, some of those guys get scholarships and don't perform. No, they do right. not. They do not. And trust me. <clears throat> guys and gals, sorry. And the Big Ten football right now, you're getting three Thanksgiving meals a day. Basically, what you get? Thanksgiving for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, <laughs> you have cost of attendance checks now. Right? So you're getting thousands of dollars every month. Right? Um, your weight room is loaded with supplements and sandwiches and salads, and you're, you're well taken care of. You're well taken care of. And, and I've always said it's a two-way street. If you feel that a college program is using you to win, they are. So you use them to get a free education, and you have aspirations to go to the NFL to use them to go to the National Football League. So my tongue is in my cheek right now. I know you're getting wealthy coaching that I see. Hmm. My tongue, my tongue is in my cheek. No, you obviously find it very rewarding. Um, can you can you tell us um, what you think you bring to the table other than your football knowledge? I mean, it's a lot more than that. It's life knowledge, I can tell, right? I think it is. I think I relate to our players very well. Um, I have great relationships with the kids I've coached. But I'll tell you this. It, I really needed it, too. I was at a point where you miss being around like-minded individuals, right? Whatever you are as a person. That's Everyone, why I sit in the hot tub with these guys. Right, right. 
It's getting a little tight in this hot tub right now. But <laughs> and do you hope to coach your kids? <laughs> I do. So my two younger boys, um, my one younger boy, Grant, is 12. He plays for the Elmhurst Bears. So he's going in the seventh grade. Uh, but, yes, I do hope to coach them. Now, do I want to coach them? Coach them? No. I hope Grant plays a different position than a defensive back. It's hard to coach your own kid. Yeah, right. Much easier for another coach to be critical and come down on him. Uh, but my coaching style is different. I don't raise my voice. I never have. Do any of your kids have the aspiration to follow in your footsteps in the NFL? And if so, would you encourage or discourage that? Um, we've never really talked about it, but I'm always very honest with them. And I tell this to parents, too, that you can't create a D1 athlete. They are born to be D1 athletes. And when they get off the bus, they look different than everyone else. And that's how recruiting works. You can rush for 3,000 yards. If you don't have the height, weight, speed, and the projected frame and ceiling, it's not going to be there, right? So I tell my boys that you, you all should have dreams. I tell all my boys, you should have your own dreams, own aspirations, but understand what the limit is, right? Be realistic. Um, and if you are, if you do have that frame and that athleticism, then someone will see you. They will. But, you know, going back to what I was saying, you know, that coaching at IC has really impacted me in a positive way. It really changed my life. It has. Any uh, people you would call out as really important mentors or one maybe, one or two? In my life? Yeah. Um, Could be on any on any level. Yeah, I would go back to the high school, to Glenbard West, and the coaches I played for. Lee Majewski, Tom Salerno, Jim Covert, um, Coach Cozy, Coach Baker. I'd go down the list. I mean, that, that was really uh, big for me. And, and it was multiple sports, too. It wasn't just football. I mean, Coach Maj was my sophomore football coach. But he was also my varsity you know, basketball coach as well. Um, so, Well, it's cool that you can be that to kids right now that, that you're coaching. I hope so. Yeah. I hope I can be. I'm sure you are. I hope so. Uh, but, you know, we've had a lot of success at IC. Yeah. Um, I hope to have more. And But it's also the type of kids we have. And Bill Kraft, our head coach, is outstanding. He is outstanding. It helps to have Coach Cal out there. It does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're running out of bubbles in the hot tub. We're about ready to yeah, go. Yeah, we got a couple more questions. Couple more, more questions. Yeah. Um, so... My question for you that I've been dying to ask you all night long. Matt Bowen gets inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. What helmet is he wearing when he goes in? <laughs> and who does the induction speech? Well, first of all, that goes back to talking about limitations because it's not going to happen <laughs> ever. So, um, but look, before I get to that, I'll say this. I, I am very proud of my career. Sure. Um, I was not a Hall of Famer. I was not a pro bowler. But I'm proud that I survived seven years in that league because that league is demanding. It is, it is violent. It is physical. I went through a couple knee injuries. Uh, I say I had the foot injury. Um, and I bounced around a lot. But bouncing around a lot led to different doors opening sure. post-career. Um, if I had to wear a helmet, uh, I mean, I would wear a Green Bay Packer helmet. Wow. All right. So who gives the induction speech for you? Um, that would probably be Jim Cover, my high school coach. Nice. So, say you're stuck in a foxhole, mm -hmm. you can only have one person with you, who would that be? Now, you, caveat here, it cannot be your wife. That's a cop-out answer. Okay. We don't allow it. Because okay. <laughs> everybody goes there, yeah. right? Um, st stuck in a foxhole. I would probably say LeVar Woods. 
LeVar Woods is a special teams coordinator <laughs> at the University of Iowa. Wow. And one of my best friends. But I would say LeVar Woods, Bart Palmer, Joe Slatter, my college why, roommates. Why LeVar Woods? Um, because there's a trust factor there. Um, and I know he would push it to the edge to survive. It's a great answer. It's got to be cool to bump into guys like that later in life, like that you haven't seen in a while and you have a special bond with. I mean, because you have special bond with a lot of men in your life. And that's what yeah. sports does, though. Yeah. I told my, my youngest son, Patrick, is going to run cross country at York. And I told him cross country is hard now. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't catch me. No yep. way out there. Yeah, that's right. They, they've won 2060 yeah. championships at York. Yeah. But I said the, the number one thing with high school sports, and everyone wants to win, I get that. The number one thing about high school sports is it allows you to develop a peer base. Yeah. It allows you to go to the lunchroom and have people to sit with. Okay, it allows you to have friends that you trust. And again, the like-minded environment. The people you hang out with that think like you, that act like you, that have the same commitment to something bigger than themselves. That's what high school sports is. The winning, and winning comes when you get a lot of those kids together, right? They believe in something. Uh, but that's what high school sports is about. It's not about my kids going to go play Division One football. No, it's not about that. It's not. we got to stop saying that stuff. That's right. We have to stop saying that stuff. Let your kid go. Enjoy sports. Be a multiple sport athlete. Be a more well-rounded individual because he, will have, he or she will have better grades and have an opportunity to go to college. If it's to play sports, great. If it's not, look, the music stops for everyone. Tom Brady had his not. I don't know why, but it stopped for, it stopped for everyone. <laughs> it all right? circles back to Tom well, Brady. Before, right? before sports became high-paid professions, they mm. were meant to supplement one's life, to sure. round out your life, to keep you healthy and balanced and everything else. Well, sure. When I started yeah. at Iowa in 95, NFL free agency had just started in 93. Yeah. So it was completely different back then, completely different. You, you know, you didn't have guys looking to transfer. You had guys that loved their school. You had guys that stayed four years at their school. It was a different environment. And I get it now. Look, if, if, I'm, if I'm one of the top four safeties in the country after my junior year, I'm going to the yeah. NFL right now yeah, right. because that opportunity is huge. That's life-changing money right there, right? I understand that. But we have to stop thinking from, especially from a coaching and parenting perspective, that everyone's going to be a star. There's only so many stars. Well, Matt Bowen, thank you so much for your time. I know you'd love to stay here another hour, but Malort has to mow his lawn before it gets dark. <laughs> That's right. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter.